Okay, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians. We are starting off this year, Sunday night, looking at the book of Philippians. So each Sunday night that we'll meet together, we will continue our study uh, through this book. Philippians falls into the category of church epistles, that is, that uh, or general epistles that are written by the Apostle Paul, uh, meaning that they are letters that are written to believers, and they are to be received and understood in that way. He is writing to the church at Philippi, for for whom, as you read this letter, you can't help but but see the great affection that the Apostle Paul had had for this church, and like so many of the churches that God used him to. To, to found, to begin, uh, he, he, he writes back to them. He, he, he contacts them. And he, and he's there at least two times through his missionary journey. Some, some would say all four times, but at least two times through his missionary journeys. And the church at Philippi, again, had a special place for the Apostle Paul. Um, he wanted them to know, like he did so many of the early churches, that, that the Lord would always be there in their time of need. He wanted to remind them of that truth, that, that God had promised that he would be there uh, and be everything they need in their time of need. In giving this message to the Church of Philippi, he reminds them to keep themselves focused upon what God has called them to do and called them to be. Don't become distracted even by troubles that might come your way. That's not to stick your head in the sand and act like the troubles don't happen. But, but it is to, even in the midst of those troubles, as you're going through those things, to keep your eyes focused upon Jesus. Because he's the promise that we have. And he wanted to write, remind the church at Philippi of this truth. And certainly, we need to be reminded of this truth so often. And uh, be careful that we also do not become distracted by the events of the day. We ought to be engaged. We ought to be interacting. We ought to be sharing truth. We ought to be doing, but we can't let it distract us from whom we are. And we, and we, we got to be reminded that in this day of trouble, like in any day of trouble for those who know Jesus Christ, he is, he is one who provides everything that we need. That's where faith really kicks in for us also. Again, it's not just a matter of talking about what we believe. It's when, when, when what we believe is enacted in our life, when it, when it, when it's put to use in our life, that's where faith starts to happen. And that's where, where uh, we get to see the reality of Christ at work in what we, what we experience in everyday life. So as you look at, at, at this, this book together, you're going to see uh, that he's going he's to encourage them. And that's, I see the, the book of Philippians as, as a book of encouragement. Uh, and, and, and also, not so much correction, but some exhortation concerning keeping yourself focused, Keeping your eyes upon the Lord. Do not get caught up in, 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 in issues. And certainly do not get caught up in, in bickering and backbiting and all the different things that can happen even in, even in a local church. Okay? So, with that in mind, we kick off our study in, in, in the uh, book of Philippians. We're going to read verses 1 to 11 for our time here tonight. So, here's what, here's what it's written for. It says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints of Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from our God, uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you uh, with all joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the, day, from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is 
right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in defense and, and confirmation of the gospel, you are, are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I have longed for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, and that you may approve the things which are excellent, that, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. Let's look at this, as we begin this, I want to break this down in, into a couple of sections. If you have your outline, you'll see that, that how I broke that down there. First of all, we're going to look at the heart of the apostle for the church at Philippi. And then we want to look at the prayer of the apostle. It's interesting to look, when you ask someone to pray for you, uh, and you, maybe you get the opportunity to hear them pray for you, without giving them so instructions on how to pray for you, it's always interesting to see how they do pray for you, how they see you, and what they think might be important for your life. And, and I think it's important for us to see how the apostle speaks or prays for the church, but that prayer comes out of his heart. That prayer comes from a relationship that he has, not only with God, certainly with God, but, and, and that prayer certainly is led by the Holy Spirit, but that, that prayer also comes from a heart for this people. He loved the church at Philippi as he loved the churches that God allowed him to be, to be a part of the, of, of the founding or the grounding of the church. And he was concerned for them. Paul knew, and it's not, uh, in, in other books he, he, he wrote about how the, how the ravenous wolves would come in after him and they would try to destroy the flock and how they would try to cause trouble and dissension in the body of Christ. That's, that's how the enemy works. Paul described the enemy of our soul as a, as a, as a prowling uh, a lion who, who stalks around, seeing how he can, how he can devour. That's what he... He works that way, and, and it is his intention to destroy the body of Christ. And, and, and by the way, the, the best way to destroy the body of Christ is never from outside. I mean, we're like any other family. You hit us from the outside, we're going to pull together. That's how families do it. You know, it was like when we were growing up with my little sister, my big brother and I, we could beat on her all day long. But if, she, if you were in the neighborhood and you beat on her, then you had to deal with my big brother and me. That's just the way it was. You know, it's, it's just, uh, so we do that too in the church. And if you look at church history, it, it proves this. It proves that in the days when, of great persecution from the outside, the church grew stronger and grew more reliant upon the Lord first and upon each other. How many of you read the screw, trap, screw tape letters or heard the screw tape letters? And you see the, back, the writing behind that that C.S. Lewis put there together was, was this very thing. As long as they attacked the church from the outside, the church stood strong, stood strong. So what was the plan? Well, the plan was for the demon to join the church. You see? Because once inside, that he had, he had the position to destroy. And that's how the enemy works. The enemy likes to infiltrate. The enemy likes to come, come inside. And so the, so the Apostle Paul, in this letter, like so many of, of the other letters, called his people to not only love, to not only care, but also to be on guard. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about his prayer. Let's begin by looking at the heart of the apostle. Now, his message to the church comes, from, comes through him, by the, again, from the Holy Spirit. But again, notice how he begins this. He, he begins by saying, this is from me, Paul, and also from Timothy. 
So these two working together in the establishment and the missionary work of, of building the church. And then he, he addresses it to all the saints of Jesus Christ. Again, talking to believers. This is not a gospel in the sense of it's not a, a letter written to, written to the world. Again, basically three categories when you read the Bible. Background, so you understand. They are written either to or about Israel, written to the world, or written to the church. Okay? Most of the Old Testament is written to Israel or about Israel. The four Gospels are written to the world. The epistles are written to the church. Here, he makes it clear that he's speaking to the church. And then he talks about the desire for them to experience the grace of God. And I like how he does it. Because anytime you get him to, to, to speak of, of the Father and the Son as co-equal, that's a good thing to get a hold of. And when, he, when, he, when the scripture deals with all three of them, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's an even greater thing to get a hold of in a sense there. But once again here, he ties this word from himself through the Holy Spirit to the Father and to the Son when he talks about in verse 2, the grace of God. Now, as he continues to speak, he expresses or he reveals his heart. He reveals his heart. Before I go on, how important is it to have a heart for the people that God has called you to minister to. Doesn't it make all the difference? It really is not about. Truth matters. Um, and, and there are times. When we can have someone that could come in. That doesn't really have a heart for us as a people. And they'll give a message. And, and we'll receive it as a message. And, and receive the truth there. But it's a whole other thing. When, when you know that those who are ministering in your life. Love you. It makes all the difference in the world when you know that they, that they, that they care about you. And, and I, I love how Paul begins this letter because he wants them to know, he wants his church to know, to know his heart. And we are a product of Paul's missionary journeys. Did you ever figure that one out? We are a product of what he's done. So I always like to carry on that heart to us. The apostle heart for the church at Philippi is the apostle's heart for us. And it ultimately is an expression of God's heart. To his people, the Lord's heart for his church. So look at the heart of the apostle. Verse 3, and, and I put down five things that are revealed about, about Paul's heart. Okay, Verse 3, he has a thankful heart. He has a thankful heart. When he talks to the church at Philippi, remember he said, When I remember you, it brings within my heart this great thankfulness. I am just so thankful to God for you. What a great thing to say to your church. What a great thing to say to those, to those who, have, who are going on the same journey as you are, but many of them are just beginning. Some have gone a little ways, and, and there are very few by this time that, that, that have been in the faith a, a real long time. But to think about this, to think that the one that God used to establish that church could express to that church that, that he is simply just thankful for them. One of, the, one of our expressions toward the body of Christ ought to always be an expression of thankfulness. And whether that body of Christ is expressed here at First Baptist, which is a part of the body of Christ, or in any other Bible-believing church in this community, or around the world, for that matter, we ought to be thankful. I, 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 I want to say to you something that, that God has taught me through the year. He's taught me that, that I need to big, be the biggest cheerleader for every Bible-believing church that's in this community. When God blesses them, I ought to be blessed. I ought to be thankful for everything that God does in every Bible-believing church in this community. 
We ought to be their biggest cheerleaders. We ought to be so grateful to God and thankful to God for them. And listen, there is nothing wrong with you and I telling the other Bible-believing churches, and I think we ought to maybe start practicing this. We ought to start telling them, hey, we're thankful for you. You know someone that goes to another Bible? Tell them. Tell them. You might be surprised. You're what? You're what? No, we're thankful that you are in a Bible-believing church. We're thankful that you love Jesus. We're thankful that you're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're thankful to be a part of the same body of Christ as you are. Can you imagine what kind of revolution or revival that could begin in the body of Christ, even in the community of Fountain Hills? I think God wants to do something like that here in the Fountain Hills. I think he wants us to, to be able to come together that way. And, and, and we'll, we'll never be all exactly the same. And I'm not sure that God designed us all to be exactly the same. But if the message is the same, and the Lord is the same, and the desire for God's word is the same, shouldn't we be thankful for that? And God, God, God through the, the apostle says to the church at Philippi, I am thankful to God for you. And every time I, you know, when it talks about that, that word remember, what he's saying is, every time I think of you, I'm thankful. What an incredible thing to say to the body of Christ. What an incredible thing to be able to say to one another as brothers and sisters, even in this expression of God's church, First Baptist. When you look across the aisle and you see that person on Sunday morning or Sunday night, Sunday night are you thankful that they're there? Are you thankful for your brothers and sisters in Christ? That ought to become an expression. That is the heart of the apostle expressed to the church. The next thing that's expressed in verse 4, he says, Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. The heart of the, the apostle is not only thankful for the church, but he's filled with joy. Filled with joy for the body of Christ. And for the privilege to pray for the body of Christ. Notice how he ties in this verse prayer and his joy. I want to talk about, he's talking about his joy now. The, the, the thought that, can you, when you think about Philippi, what I want you to think about is when he first went there, there were no believers there. And now he's seeing, as he thinks about them and he's thankful for them, he's seeing God work in their life. And he is filled with joy. Filled with joy at what he sees. And he's filled with joy for having the ability and the privilege to pray for them and to lift them up before the Lord. Do you understand what a privilege it is to be able to pray for someone else? It really is. When you pray for someone else, you're just not talking about them to God. You're going before God literally on their behalf. What a great privilege that is. And and it ought to be a a privilege that, that we see as something filled with joy, that someone would ever come to you. Now, we, we let this sort of slip by without, you know, very easily say, okay, I'll pray for you. Very rarely do we, do we say, you know what, Roxana comes and says, Tony, would you pray with me? And I was, would you pray for me? And I would say, yes, I pray for you. And I don't have to act like a goofball, but, but, <laughs> but inside to be able to say, guess what? A brother or a sister actually asked me to pray for They asked me to pray for them. See, see how we take so many things for granted in the body of Christ. We, we pass off prayer requests as if, as if they, and I'm as guilty as anybody else, we pass them off, we say them very quickly without considering that somebody in the body of Christ 
thought enough of you and your walk and your prayer life and who you and your faith to come up and say, brother or sister, would you pray for me? That's incredible when you, when you really bring it down to what, it, what he's talking about here. And, and Paul says, you know what? I get to pray for you, and that just, not only do you fill my heart with joy, but to be able to pray for you just fills my heart with joy, that I can, that I can lift you up before the Father, that I can speak your name to God. What an incredible, incredible privilege. It, intercessory prayer is powerful. I believe it is. But, but I believe it only becomes powerful when we, again, enter into it by faith, for sure, but also enter into it with an expectation that as, as we bring whatever we're going to bring before the Father on behalf of somebody else, that God is going to hear our prayer and that God is going to be God in that person's life. We're not there to tell God what to do in someone else's life, but it is a great privilege to be able to, to speak to God on behalf of somebody else and know because he is God and because he loves them even more than we love them, that he's going to act in their life. What a great thing for us to get to do. So when the, when the, when the, when the apostle reveals his heart to the church, he, he reveals it, first of all, in thankfulness. Second of all, he reveals it in joy. And now look at verse 6. He said, being confident in this very thing. When he expresses his heart, I love, and you, you, that's a very familiar passage of verse, right? Uh, passage of scripture. I'm confident what? That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of the Lord. Okay? He expresses his heart this way in that verse. In confidence. Now, in whom does Paul put his confidence? It's not in them. And that, that doesn't mean he doesn't have some confidence in him. But what he, he, he expresses his confidence, his heart toward them in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a wonderful thing when we can literally walk in the confidence of Jesus. When we know who he is, we know that he hears, we know that he will respond, we know that he will be who he needs to be in the lives of people that we care about. We might call that faith and, and that wouldn't be too far off, but I want to just care a little bit more than, a little bit more than that. It's the confidence that that. That God is at work around us. That the Lord is at work around us. That, that the confidence that God is at work not only in the apostle's life, but in your life also. The confidence to stand back sometimes and let God do his work in someone else's life. That's confidence in him. Sometimes we interrupt, if we're not careful, what God is doing in someone else's life. And, and, and that can actually be an expression of a lack of confidence in Jesus to do that. Have you ever prayed for somebody and then tried to fix it yourself? Okay? There's just I want you to think about that. And, and those of us who have that personality, it becomes even harder for us. And I know some of you, don't look at me like I don't know some of you, you have that personality. Uh, you're gonna ask, you might ask God to fix it, and if it doesn't happen in the first 15 minutes, you'll take care of it yourself. Never mind. But I think it's, it's an interesting thought here that as we do pray for one another, that we don't try to become the Holy Spirit in someone else's life. That we have enough confidence in our Lord to be Lord in that situation. And then you say, but what if it doesn't turn out the way we think it should have turned? It's not your business how it turns out. 
I know that grates against us. Because we want to make sure God does it the way we think it should be done. And sometimes, and I think more times than not, God might do things differently just so we know it's Him. The apostle's not expressing something that we don't have difficulty with. We do. The confidence in God to do what God can do. That's what he says here. I have confidence that he who began a good work in you is, will be faithful to complete it. And, and he expresses his confidence in the Lord. Not in, not in them and not in himself, but his confidence in the Lord. We talk a lot about being a Christ-centered church. And this is one area that we, 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 we rarely ever really talk about. We, think about it. We rarely ever talk about this. We rarely ever talk about it letting or standing back. I hate the word letting when it comes to God, like, like we're, we're giving him permission to do what he wants to do. But we rarely ever just talk about standing back and seeing God be God in situations. So often we get in a place where we interrupt him. And sometimes when we interrupt him, we miss what he has for us. We don't change who he is in any sense of the word, but, but because of our interruption, we may be too busy trying to do it ourselves and so, so preoccupied with doing it ourselves that we actually miss what he wants to do or what he is doing. So it, again, the, the, the heart of the apostle, our hearts ought to be a hearts of confidence in Christ. The third thing that's expressed in the heart of the apostle, look at verse 7. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chain and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. When he expresses this kind of wordage or the verbiage to the church in verse 7, do you see what he's talking? He, he expresses that that he sees in them the same commitment that he has to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what he, what he talks about, he talks about what he's going through, but he says, when I see you, I see that you are partakers of the same thing. And he expresses from his heart toward his church that he sees a commitment to them. Now, I don't know how all this balances out, so let me just confess that to you right off the bat. And I am confident that God does not need, does not need anything from us. But somehow there is a balance in the scripture that requires a response on our part and a willingness somehow to commit to what God has called us to. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't understand how that balances out. I don't. God does not need us, but God has called us. And in that calling, there is a requirement for us to genuinely respond to God and to his calling that requires on our part a commitment. The, word, the very word disciple has as its root dis, uh, discipline. We talk about discipline. And, 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 and to be disciplined in something requires commitment. And, and, and it really is unavoidable. And I'm certainly not talking about a works-based faith. And I'm not talking about even working out your salvation by a works approach. 
But there has to be something in our heart. We talk about the heart of the apostle. And he sees in the church of Philippi, he sees, and he expresses his commitment to the Lord, but he also sees that, that commitment in the church of Philippi. And, and there's a call on our part, too. There is a required response by the body of Christ. That's what I want you to know. There is a required response. There is always a required response. Now, it is God, bless you, it is God, it is God who gives us the faith. It's a gift from God, the faith we need to respond from him. What we do with that gift is a decision that we make. We could come up with a lot of examples. Very quickly. How many of you, since you've been born again, since you know that you belong to Jesus Christ, since you are a child of God, since you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, how many of you have ever, since that time, have ever, since that time, been disobedient to God? Y'all are a mess. How is that possible? I mean, really, how is that... If, if, if somehow God has enslaved your will because now you are his child, how is it possible for you to be just... You just confess that you are disobedient to God. There is required on our part that matter of commitment. That matter of a decision of how we're going to respond to the Holy Spirit every day as the children of God. You are born again, you are a child of God, but you are not a robot. And could God override your will? In a nanosecond, he could override your will. But he has chosen for us to be his followers. And he's certainly chosen us as his followers, but he has chosen us to be his followers. And part of that dynamic, and again, there's so many nuances to it that I couldn't explain it if I wanted to, but part of that dynamic is, is, is that, that need for us to, to willingly commit to follow Christ every day. And by the way, that commitment, according to what the Apostle says here, is something to be celebrated. It's something when, when you see, it ought to be an encouragement to you. It ought to be a challenge to you. When you see a brother or sister who you see is living a life that is committed to Jesus Christ. Again, you ought to be happy for that. You ought to be filled with joy for that. And you ought to be praising that. And not praising them as much as, 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 much as trying to build them up in the sense of giving them the big head. But, but to acknowledge that in them. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, my sister, that I see in you a commitment to Christ. It's an encouragement to me. It's a challenge to me. And, and, and I don't think we can set that, that aside. There are so many things that I've prepared for this sermon tonight that, that, that Apostle Paul takes it a little deeper, in, at least in my walk, that, 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 that I think we, bat, we bypass so quickly. The confidence in Christ, the commitment that Christ has called us to. You know, we want to say, let go and let God. And I understand that. But remember, that's one of those bumper stickers that we don't, we don't do here. Okay? I understand that we need to, that it's got to be Christ. I understand that it's got to be he who's in control and he's the one who's empowering. He's the one's guiding us and stuff like that. But he, he will not guide if you don't respond to him. I didn't say he could not guide. He certainly could. But his plan is to have people who, who legitimately respond to him. And that takes a commitment. 
And the apostle speaks of that in his own walk. And he speaks of that as he sees it in the, in the life of the church there at Philippi. Okay? The, the last thing that you see about the, the apostle's heart, look at verse 8. For God is my witness. Well, that's a pretty strong statement. God is my witness. And then look at what he says that God is a witness of. How greatly I long for you in all the affection, with all the, with all the affection of Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying? His heart for them is that he loves them. He loves them. It's not a small thing to say, my, what he says there, he says, I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. That's an incredible statement. Christ is loving you through me. And the heart of the apostle to the church there at Philippi, he wants them to know, is that I love you in Christ Jesus. And I love you with a godly kind of love. I love you with that agape kind of love. I love you with the love that was expressed by Jesus Christ for you. And as Jesus Christ works through me, I pray every day that he teaches me to love that way. And that's what the Apostle Paul speaks of here. I want to love the church at Philippi with all the affection that's found in Jesus Christ. We ought to want to love the church of the Lord Jesus Christ with all the affection of Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible tells me this. It says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And it is certainly true that Jesus died for you and me as individuals. But it is also true that Jesus Christ loved the church and gave herself for, for her. The church is the bride of Christ. I don't know about you guys, but you know, when, you know, when, when you're talking about bride, you know, when you talk, talk about that, uh, even, even that initial time, I remember when Teresa and I got married some 36, 35 and a half years ago. Don't tell her I missed up on that one. Okay. I remember that little church in Roswell, New Mexico, a little bitty church. She come, she come walking down the aisle. And in that moment, she was the only one I saw in that whole place. You know, we are the bride of Christ. Can you imagine that's how he sees us? Now, if Christ loved the church and the apostle loved the church... Well, shouldn't we love the church also? It is true we ought to love one another. It is true we ought to love individually one another. But it's also true that we ought to love the church. And I would put it this way. And every legitimate, biblical expression of the church we ought to love. So, the apostle reveals his heart to, the, to us and to the church at Philippi. He's thankful. He's joyful, he's confident, he's committed, and he loves. That's his heart. Now, from that right heart, he tells them how he prays for them. You know, if someone expressed to you on a personal basis those five things about how they felt about you and how they felt about you and life and all the things, that's kind of pretty sad. I want you praying for me. Because everything he expressed here is that is, it, it was... Certainly God-centered, but it was also church-directed. So they, they could know that his heart was right with God, but he really was concerned for them. So his prayers meant a whole lot. Okay? So now, let's see how he prays for the church. We'll look at verses 9-11. to Here's what he said. Verse 9. He said, And this I pray, that your love may, may abound still more and more in knowledge 
and in all discernment. So the first thing that he prays for them, as he ends speaking of his great affection for them, the first thing he prays for them is that their love would grow, that it would abound more and more. That, you know, love cannot be stagnant and remain love. It's got to continue to grow. And love cannot be cannot be cannot grow unless it is given away unless it is unless it is expressed to other people and so he said i'm praying that your love would would abound more and more but i want you to notice he takes great care i think he takes great care to make sure they understood understand uh, that that he was not talking about the way the world sees love some just merely emotionalism some more uh, something based merely upon feeling now i always tell people god does not work by our emotions. But I do believe that God works in us and what he does in us touches our emotions. And when he talks about the word love here, the love here he's talking about is not an emotional love here. He's talking about a, a I guess, a practical love, a real love, a love that shows itself. Okay? And now Paul says, I pray for the church that you would have this kind of love and that this kind of love would be growing and growing. But this love is based upon something. Note, look at what he says there. It's based more and more in, first of all, in knowledge. In knowledge. Well, what is that knowledge? Who is he speaking of when he speaks of, of knowledge? The Old Testament prophet said, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. Some versions put it this way. My people perish because they have no longer a vision for God. And the knowledge that he's speaking about there is not the knowledge as the world speaks of knowledge, nor is it certainly the knowledge that the, that the Gnostics speak of, the Gnosis, that, that somehow brought salvation because they had, uh, they had some sort of superior intellectual experience. But it is the knowledge, it is, it is the knowledge, the intimacy, if you will, of God. Of who he is, of what he's about, of what's important to his heart of why he created them, of why he called the church, and what, he, you know, what his task is, and, his, and even his mission in the world. It's that kind of knowledge. And love is based in knowledge. It can literally be said, I cannot love biblically unless, first of all, I know God. I cannot love biblically. I can love the, I, I can love the way the world loves. Okay? But I cannot love biblically unless, first of all, I know God. But the second thing he says about this love, it's not only knowledge, but it's discernment. Oh, wait a minute. What's discernment? Well, this, this can move almost into the area people say, is this judgment? Judgment that you make? No. Discernment, again, is not a feeling any more than love is a feeling. Discernment is based in the Word of God. Okay? We are called, it's interesting... People like to say in the world, like say, the Bible says, judge not that you be not judged. Yet the Bible, on the other hand, says, judge all things and hold on to that which is true. So which is he talking about? Well, the context of both those are different things altogether. When it comes to discernment, we are to love with discernment. Okay? Based in knowledge. Now, how do I know what is true about God? Well, I just uh, had this experience and I just feel it. Well, again, God does give experiences. I, I would not doubt that at all. But that needs to base on something that's unchangeable because my experiences, even with God, change. And I can tell you without any doubt that what I thought at times earlier in my ministry, in my life, were experiences with God, I'm not quite sure they were today. They may have been. I don't know. 
But here's what I can tell you through 35 years of ministry. This has always remained the truth. This has always remained what it is. And long before I started in ministry, this was true. Long before any of us existed, this, start, this is true. Long before mankind ever walked on the earth or mankind ever penned one page of this book, it was already true. You see, the word of the Lord is eternal. And the scripture says it stands forever. That's forever in the past and it's forever in the future. It is eternal. No beginning and no end. So when we talk about discernment, discernment is based upon truth. And how do we enact that discernment when it comes to love? It's through the word of God. So how do I know to love people? The Bible tells me how to love people. How do I know how to love my enemies? The Bible tells me how to love my enemies. The Bible teaches me, as he's saying. I don't base my love for other people based upon what the world says, I how, who I should and how, how I should love people. I base that upon the word of God. He prays that they will have love according to knowledge and discernment. So you could actually say discernment is, is looking at things through through, through the, the, the scope, if you will, of the word itself. And when we, we're in the word itself, it's the Holy Spirit who reveals to us the reality of, of the truth of God's word. That's the first part of his prayer. Second part of his prayer, look at verse 10. That you may approve the things which are excellent, and that you may, may be sincere and without offense till the day of the Lord. Second part of his prayer. That they may be able to what? Approve those things which are right, which are excellent, which are correct. Part of the ministry of discernment, of love that he talks about right here, and it's part of what you need to be doing as a church. I, how many, I don't know how many times I've told you this, is that the final authority in this church is not the man who stands behind the pulpit, regardless of who that man is. Or regardless of who that man will be in the future. Or regardless of who that man was in the past. They're not the final authority. The final authority in this church is not what this church what this church decides. The final authority in this church is not what our denomination decides. The final authority in this church is not what the church universal has decided. The final authority in this church is this. It's the word of God. And you are required by this very word to check out everybody who proclaims to speak or teach. The things of God. He prays that they'll have that kind of, of, of knowledge and discernment so that they can approve what, when it says excellent there, it means what is, what is the truth? What is right? What is, this, what is biblical? When I speak about our church, I want to be able to tell people this. More than anything else, it's not that I want to tell them that we're Baptists, and it's not that I'm ashamed of being a Baptist. But what I want to tell them, what, to, what I want to express to them is that we are a biblical church. We want to be a people that if, it, if it's in the scripture, that's what we believe. That's what we apply. That's what, the way we walk. If it's not in the scripture, we may do that, but we would never raise that other thing up to the level of scripture. And if the scripture speaks against it, then that's where we stand concerning those things too. We want to be a biblical church more than anything else. Denominations can change. All you have to do is look at a lot of the mainline denominations. They have changed. They can go their own way. What happens when a denomination does those things? If you're a denominational person, you'll go with them. If you're a biblical person, a biblical Christian, if they decide to change, you'll stand with Jesus. Amen. So, 
He wants us to be able to, to, to be able to evaluate, to judge, discern that which is excellent. But then there's a second part to, to this, this, this portion. Also, look at the last part of verse 10. He said, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of the Lord. Now, what's he talking about? Sincere and without offense. He's not talking about, he's not asking at this point that you be, not be offensive. He's asking you that, that your faith will be, he's praying that your, our faith will be a sincere faith. It will be a genuine faith. And it will be a faith that has impact in the way we live our life. So that we're without offense. A sincere faith based upon the truth of God's word. That's what he's praying for. But that faith is not to be left in the book. And as I said this morning in my message, and not to be left in the building. That faith is to be lived out there. So, so he prays that they, they would live a life without offense. And that, that's another word to say that you would live a holy life. That you would live a biblical life. That you would live in Christ. That you'd be guided by the Holy Spirit. That you would not be taken away into sin so that your sin might be an offense to cause someone else to stumble. That's what he's praying for here. What a great prayer. I love it when they think about, who prayed for me? And I, this is a great prayer. It's like the Apostle Paul prayed for me, and he prayed that I'd walk right before God and walk in truth and walk in love and all those wonderful things. But, you know, and there's a lot of prayers like this in the Scripture. The, my favorite prayer is from my favorite prayer in the Bible. Guess who that is? Huh? It's Jesus. That's right. And I, I remind you, Jesus prayed for you. You remember that? He prayed, he said, I pray for not these, not only these who you've given me, speaking of the apostles, but I pray for all those who have believed because of their testimony. That's me. Jesus prayed for me. Pray for you. Now the apostle prays, this is a wonderful prayer. He wants us to love with knowledge and discernment. He wants us to know what is right, what is true. But he, not, he, want, he doesn't want us just to know it. He wants us to live it so that we live lives without offense to the cause of Christ. Remember the, 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 the King David said, God help me or God forbid that I should ever do anything to cause the enemies of God to blaspheme his name. All right. Look at verse, verse 11 and we'll, we'll close it, our time out tonight. The last part of, of his prayer. Here's what he says. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and the praise of God. His prayer for them is not only would they walk in love based on truth and based on discernment and knowledge, not only would they, would they uh, accept that which is only right in their own life and then live that way, but now here's what he said. I don't want you just to exist there. I want you abound, to abound in the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. Think about what he's saying here. He's, not, he's moved it. If we stop with just a second one, we might be able to just have that hold on mentality. I'm not doing anything wrong. I know what's right. And I'm not doing anything wrong. So, I, you know, I've sort of, I, you know, it, it's kind of the, 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 the uh, what's the, what are you talking about? The, the, those who go into um, monasteries? Uh, monastic. Yeah, that's it. it. It's kind of, you could have the monastic attitude. I know what's right. Okay. And I'm not doing what's wrong, so I'm okay. But he won't leave us there. Because now what he says, that you would, abo uh, you, you would abound in the fruit of the Spirit. 
It's not time to build bunkers and hide. It's time to equip ourselves with, with the word and, and to, to walk in the spirit and to walk in love and then to go out there with the fruit of the spirit popping out all over us. Which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Against such there is no law. These are the evidences of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in you and in me. It's not enough just to know. It's not just enough just to apply. Those things are both important. But we are called to walk in who he created us to be. So that the Holy Spirit might, man might manifest itself through us. Touching the lives of people as the fruit of the Spirit becomes real in our lives. That's what he prays. That's the Apostle's Prayer for the church at Philippi. That's the Apostle's Prayer for us. And it comes from, from, a, from an Apostle whose heart has been expressed in the ways that we looked at earlier. In a lot of ways... The world is very similar to it was in the time of, of Paul. Sometimes we think these guys had it easy, but Paul didn't have it easy. And as Paul needed that heart that was expressed here, we need that heart. And as Paul prayed that prayer for the church, and church, we need to be praying that prayer for the church. God has called us to the very same ministry that he's called the Apostle Paul to. I understand he's an apostle and we're not. But the ministry remains the same. The call to the church remains the same. That being the case, then the heart ought to be the same. And the prayers and the importance of those prayers ought to be the same for us. I ask you to bow your head with me tonight. As you think about your heart, and you think about your prayer for the church, first of all, are there anything like what we read tonight? Or do they not even exist at all? When you talk about the church, the heart for the church or the heart and the prayer for the church. This book gives us a great beginning point. Not only for this letter, but a great beginning point for us from now on. God, give me the heart of the apostle. You gave it to Paul. Give it to me. And Holy Spirit, lead my prayer that my prayers will be much like Paul's. Really genuinely caring that people love one another. Based in knowledge and discernment. Caring that, that people will know the truth and that they'll live the truth. And caring that your Holy Spirit would show himself mighty in the lives of those who are my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Father, I thank you for tonight and I thank you for our time together. And Lord, I pray that as we've begun this, this study and we've, we've read these words and we've considered the things that you have spoke through the Apostle Paul, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would take these things and implant them in our hearts. That we would look at where we are. Is our heart a heart like you desire it to be? And are our prayers as they should be for our brothers and sisters for the body of Christ? Lord, how I desire that we would each love or have such affection for the body of Christ as Paul expressed here in the same way that Christ loved them. 
Lord, I pray that you continue to work in our hearts. Continue to change us and mold us and make us into who you desire us to be. That we might genuinely be the body of Christ. And we would have your heart for our brothers and sisters. And we would never cease to pray for one another until the day you come for us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.